brother. Yeah. Lord bless you. Good morning, church. I miss getting to say that to you every week. <laughs> Greetings from our new church family, Hope Evangelical Free Church in Ottawa. They said to, to say hello and good morning to you this morning and especially to the, to the Nelsons. Uh, when we got to Ottawa, the name of the church was Ottawa Evangelical Free Church. I think there's significance and meaning in a church's name, so I had to find out what did this word Anawa mean. And I looked it up. It's an Indian word, and it means wide awake. It means alert. And I said, wow, you're making a big commitment to your pastor. You haven't even heard me preach. Uh, since then, they've changed the name. It's, it's, it's Hope Evangelical Free Church, as in... We hope we can stay awake and alert. <laughs> uh, my wife and I are glad to be here today, part of this special celebration. Uh, as you know, we've only been gone uh, a year and a half or so. Sometimes it seems much shorter than that. And other times, when we look at all the Lord's been doing in our new community, it seems a little bit longer. We, we love our church family in Ottawa. We're grateful for what we see Jesus doing in and through his church there, um, but we also want you to know that we love you and we miss you. And um, like all of you, I am very glad that the Lord brought Pastor Nick and Jen to your church to serve. I was surprised how quickly it all happened, but just another evidence of God's goodness and kindness to you. Um, and uh, we miss seeing the Nelsons usually over here and having that opportunity to, to see those great kids along with their mom and dad. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I was uh, teasing Pastor Jeremy uh, a little bit this morning. I don't have room for my Bible up here, so I, my full-size Bible I call a sword, so this small one is my dagger, okay? But I have room room for that. The title of this morning's message, as you can see, is Shepherding the Flock of God. And this is an appropriate message for us today for more than one reason, not just because we're giving thanks to God for Pastor Jeremy and his ministry here, but also we're going to see in the text this morning that we should be acknowledging and giving thanks to the Lord for the significant and special role of each of our elders, not just in this local church, but elders who are serving faithfully in churches around the world. And I'll say especially when the church is preparing for or even perhaps serving in difficult days. Uh, here in America, I think we all ought to be very thankful for our liberties and our freedoms. Uh, but truth be told, a lot of you know this, our freedoms and liberties have not always been the best friend of the church. That might sound a little bit strange, but our affluence and the freedoms that we enjoy sometimes make it difficult for us as a church to faithfully pursue our mission of making disciples who make disciples. I, I think of the parable of the soils, the third type of soil. 
the thorny ground soil. Uh, Jesus warns the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things have the propensity, the likelihood to come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. So we have to be vigilant and aware. And what a great opportunity we have this morning looking together at what God's word says to us as individuals and says to uh, the leaders of the church. Uh, Some of you know, Peter wrote this letter just before waves of, of evil and wicked persecution began to, to blow throughout the Roman Empire. In the verses leading up to chapter 5, uh, verse 12 of chapter 4, um, Peter says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Okay, and then in verse 13 he writes how they will share in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 14, be insulted for the name of Christ. Verse 16, suffer as Christians. And then verse 19, acknowledging all of those afflictions he just referred to, Peter writes, and we need to hear this, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Uh, We live in a day and an age where we are among people who the last thing they want to do is, is think about suffering. It becomes a very difficult prospect for them. And yet, as, as Peter writes, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are different. We're willing to suffer according to God's will. And though here in the scenic city, you don't experience much suffering or persecution because of your faith, I, I would add to that, not yet. For I believe that before Jesus returns, he's going to purify his church In Ephesians 5 and 26, Paul writes that one day the church is going to be presented to church as a bride without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And and when I hear that description of the church, I ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, does that sound like a good description of the church in America? No, not not really. Not really. And uh, how do you get stains and wrinkles out of a soiled garment. How do you do it? Well, you need soap. You need usually hot water, right? And you need agitation or friction. Uh, I once sat across the table from a godly old pastor who, who said to me, that sounds a lot like persecution. And, and we don't like to think about it, but, but I, I want you to be prepared uh, for the possibility of winds of persecution to begin blowing across America. I want you to be prepared knowing that our religious freedoms might not only come under attack, but be greatly diminished even in our own generation. Uh, we're going to put a slide up on the big screen. Uh, I may have shown this to some of you before, but a guy who's done a lot of research history, he's looked at the great civilizations of the world and what typically happens, okay? And you think back to the founding of our nation and and what it was like and the values that were important. And and you see these 10 um, steps in the life of a nation generally get followed 
to one degree or another, whether it's a great nation or a lesser nation. And I'll just tell you, as I look at that graphic, I, I think I see the United States in there somewhere. Do you see us in there? It looks to me like we're down towards the bottom. Uh, we need, in this great nation of ours, we need a return to righteousness. We need to be asking Jesus to revive his church. Amen? Okay, as you're physically able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read this morning's passage. It's going to be 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. And you can be seated. If you received a bulletin, there's an outline of the morning's message if you find that helpful. Again, the references to persecution and suffering in this letter come right before these instructions Peter writes to the church. Specific instructions here of how the elders are to care for the flock, which Acts 20 and 28 tells us Jesus purchased with his own blood. And when did Jesus purchase the church? When he chose to die for our sins as our substitute. And that means this church and the church belong not to its members, but to its Redeemer. Good thing to remember, right? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he has a plan and a purpose for his church, including this church, including each and every one of you who are a part of this church family. God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. And in these verses, we read how... He wants the elders, specifically here, to know how to lead. He wants the elders and the members of the church to understand the role of the elders is in part to help the members of that congregation live their lives in such a way that, that praise and honor and glory are given to Jesus. Not just when things are simple and easy, but even and especially when the church is facing persecution. So between now and the end of the message, it's my aim to identify and briefly explain four characteristics and responsibilities of faithful shepherds. And the first is that they accept and appreciate exhortation. A faithful shepherd will appreciate it and accept it when he receives exhortation. Now, this letter, as you all know, was, was meant to be read by the entire church. Everybody was to know all this, not just the elders, but, but everybody, including 
people like all of us, men and women and young people. Uh, some of you maybe remember how I used to hold up my Bible and say, if you take that word apart, B-I-B-L-E, you could say it stands for Basic Instruction Before Leaving Earth. This is our owner's manual. God wants us to know his will and desire. And, and doesn't that make you just want to thank him? He, he doesn't say be smart enough to figure it all out on your own. He puts it here in black and white uh, so we can know and understand his will. So how does verse, uh, verse 1 begin? Verse 1 begins with the words, So I exhort the elders among you. I exhort. That word means to ask, to beg, to plead and encourage. So what Peter is intending for the church to hear in this passage is a whole lot more than a simple suggestion. He's saying, this is important. You need to listen. You need to understand these instructions because your church and your church's leaders are are responsible for making sure that these instructions are not only understood but also followed. And then uh, middle of verse 1, this far in the letter, Peter gives his credentials. And it's surprising in some ways. He begins by stating he's a fellow elder. A fellow elder. So as he delivers these instructions to the elders in the church, he's not doing it as a superior, but as a brother, a guy who's done the same things that they're being asked to do. Something that Jesus had already commissioned Peter to do. Um, shortly before he ascended into heaven. So yes, Peter's an apostle, part of the Lord's inner circle, but he's also an elder. And uh, by the way, I'm going to give you a little bit of a language help here. The Greek word translated here as elder has a very specific meaning, right? What does it mean? Older, okay? You maybe didn't know that, but <laughs> it means older. I, I have an 83-year-old friend who recently came to faith in Christ. And, and I'm going to call him Harry because that's his name, okay? <laughs> Harry started coming to our church earlier this year. And uh, I did a, a three-week Bible study, what the Bible says about salvation, with my friend Harry. And uh, it was interesting to see the veil begin to be lifted in Harry's eyes. Harry was or is the guy in town that most everybody knows and likes. Uh, pretty much everyone in town would see and say that Harry is a good person, okay? He's a man who keeps his word, who gives good service. And, and he, would, he would gladly have identified himself to you, as he did to me, with the words, I am a good person. But as we took time to look at what God's word has to say about us, the universal condition of us as human beings, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And not only that, there's consequences to that sin. And, and it was fun for me, a blessing to me, to see Harry get to the point where he understood, this is me we're reading about. I'm that sinner. 
I have violated God's commands. I've rebelled against his reign and his rule, and I deserve not to be known as a good person, but to admit that I am guilty. And, and uh, that Wednesday morning, uh, Harry talked to God, and it was really fun again and interesting and a blessing for me to hear how he shared with God his need for forgiveness and, and asked Jesus not only to forgive him, but to be the Lord of his life. Well, over the last 10 weeks or so, Harry and I have continued meeting. We're getting the foundation set right. Uh, the church I serve, as I said earlier, is quite a bit smaller than yours. Uh, yet, like this church, we are blessed with good and godly elders. We have two in the church I serve. Now, one of them, Danny, is about a few years older than me, and the other one, Jamie, is maybe 10 years younger. And uh, over the years, Jamie has really made an impression on my friend Harry. They worked with each other for over 20 years before Harry recently retired. And I'm not exaggerating. He kept working into his 80s. And uh, see how well you're paying attention. Do you remember what that word elder means? Older, yep. <laughs> this past Wednesday when, when Harry and I were studying the word, Harry told me again how much he loves and appreciates Jamie. And then he said, he has the habits of an old man. And, and he, he totally meant that as a compliment, which I think my, my fellow elders would understand. Uh, a good number of you have had the privilege over the last 10 years of, of seeing Pastor Jeremy grow a little bit older each year. Uh, at times, it, it was fun this morning during the, the Sunday school hour to hear each of the guys who stood up, stood up here and share a little bit of perspective, um, we heard, and I'll say again, at times, Pastor Jeremy can be quite serious, right? I need a little bit of help there. Yeah, quite. <laughs> uh, he's very disciplined and intentional. And I think my friend Harry would say, if he knew you, you have the habits of an old man. But your pastor also has a great sense of humor. He's incredibly caring and mature, and for his age, incredibly wise. Pastor loves his wife and his children, which in itself is a, a sermon. And if you've been a part of this church family for any time at all, you know how much he loves and cares for each and every member of the flock and of course, above all, Pastor has not only a great love for Jesus, but a passion for him and for the good news of his gospel. But back to verse 1, second half of the verse. Not only was Peter an elder, he says, I'm, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. A witness of the sufferings. Well, Peter had been with Jesus during most all of his earthly ministry, including those hours in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter made it 
part of the way to Calvary before denying Jesus three times. But he made it part of the way, and he knew how our Jesus suffered and died for the sins of all who are humble enough to admit them, turn from them, and place their faith in God's only begotten and the finished work of the cross. The Greek word translated as witness also gives us our English word martyr. Now we think, when we hear that word martyr, we think of someone who who dies for their faith. And, And Peter, he'd eventually do that. But in its simplest form, a martyr is is simply a witness who tells others what he has seen and what he has heard. Until the last few months, my, my friend Harry seriously had not really been to church since he was a little child. And, and so all that we're learning that he's discovering on Sunday morning and, and in his personal daily Bible readings and when we get together, it's all very new to him. Uh, I think it was three weeks ago, uh, Chris and I had gotten him a, a giant print Bible, kind of randy like we got your dad, giant print, so it was really easy for Harry to read. And it just made him excited about getting in the Word. He, he parks that Bible on the dining room table when his kids and grandkids who aren't yet believers come into the house. He likes to tell them, what he's been discovering in this new walk with Christ. So a few weeks ago, he said, what should I read? And I said, I think it would be helpful for you to read the Gospel of John. And uh, the next week when I got there, he said, hey, I got it. I finished it. It was good. And uh, he said, I'm wondering where I should go next. Isn't that great when you're, when you're discipling a new believer? That hung. I said, hey, I said, Harry, how about we do the book of Acts. And I said, maybe do one or two chapters a day. Why don't you work on that? And, uh, and he said, okay, I'll do that. He, he put his bookmark in the Bible. And when, when I showed up there last Wednesday, we had a little bit of small talk at the beginning of our Bible study. And, and then uh, I asked him, uh, what did you learn as you were doing your daily Bible readings this week. And he said, well, you know, he asked me to read the book of Acts. I said, well, yeah, how far did you get done? And he had a big smile on his face, and he said, I read it all in a single sitting. Okay. I said, that's great, Harry. I said, what have you been learning? And uh, I wrote this down as I sat. That is, oh, he had his dining room table. Sorry about that. He said, they make a hero of God. Okay? That was the Holy Spirit helping this new believer, looking at the word of God, and and seeing the early church like to tell others about all they had witnessed, all they had seen, all they had heard. And they made sure people who had the opportunity to hear them bear witness knew that their God is a hero. Oh, I loved it. Again, he, he knew basically nothing other than John 3.16 of the Word of God. And when we read the book of Acts, he said, they make a hero of God. Mm. 
those first Christians were, were martyrs or witnesses. They were motivated and glad to tell others of all they had seen and heard. And, and my question for you today is, have you ever thought of yourself in that same way? The Bible does say you and I are Christ's ambassadors. The Bible does say you and I represent him to our world, right? And not just by living a, a godly life, but also willingly, cheerfully, gladly telling others about the transforming power of the gospel. And not only that, urging them to be reconciled to God. So I'm going to ask you, friends, um, when's the last time your friends or your family, your classmates or your coworkers heard you joyfully telling them about the hero of this book? When's the last time? And if you don't like your answer, what should you do? I'll let you answer that on your own. Now to the end of verse 1 where Peter also describes himself as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Now most all of you know that Peter was present on the Mount of Transfiguration. So part of what he's saying here is, is a look back to what he experienced on that day. But based on what he says at the end of this passage, we also know he's looking forward, looking forward to the glory that was going to be revealed, that will be revealed on the day that Jesus returns for his bride, the church. So faithful shepherds, they accept, they appreciate exhortation. They know the church belongs to Jesus and they are committed to following his plan. Secondly, faithful shepherds also exercise oversight over the flock of God. That's verse number two. As I said a few minutes ago, I'll remind you again, the elders of the church have the responsibility of doing all they can to help the members of their specific church family live their lives in a manner worthy of their calling. In Bible times, shepherds gently led the flock. They protected them from predators, made sure they had healthy pastures and clean water. Uh, first several years of my ministry, I used to have three portraits of a shepherd on the wall in my office. Same shepherd doing three different things, guarding, guiding, grazing the sheep. I don't, I don't know where those are anymore, but they were a great reminder for me every day I went into the office of part of our role and responsibility. Uh, I was talking before the service to some good friends, and, and we mentioned the driveway visits. That's probably uh, one of my highlights of how we dealt with all the uncertainties and problems of COVID. You know, when we couldn't gather together here, uh, Pastor Jeremy and I went through the church family, the list of it, and divided them up into two groups, and, and he was going to see half the groups, and I was going to see half the groups. And uh, we went out visiting, and sometimes Chris was able to come with me. Uh, often we'd bring our lawn chairs, right, and we'd, we'd sit in, in driveways or sometimes in garages and listen. 
and encourage and pray with and for each other. And, and really what we were doing was checking on the condition of the flock. And, and that was just one of the great ways that Pastor Jeremy sought to be faithful to do the work we'd been entrusted to do, uh, even when the situation or circumstance uh, was, was sometimes trying. This church is blessed, you know, all sorts of ways. You get to hear sound biblical preaching every Sunday of the year. You've got Awana, a great CE program. There are opportunities for men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, youth Bible studies, active life group ministry, uh, mostly led by, by elders, plus opportunities for one-to-one discipleship, which again, uh, I, I greatly enjoyed being a part of while I was serving here at your church. So why all these opportunities? Why all this intentionality about giving you opportunities to grow and mature in your walk with Jesus? Why? Well, the reason why is because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for you. There's a lot at stake for our future generation, should Christ tarry. Just before the United States officially got involved in World War II, we sent some of our best pilots to China. And they were part of a, an air force referred to nowadays as the Flying Tigers. Have you heard of the Flying Tigers? What was unusual about the Flying Tigers is they were trained by the U.S. government, employed by the Chinese government to try to usurp the plans of the Japanese government, okay? We weren't officially, officially involved. Uh, years ago, I watched uh, a documentary, probably on Discovery Channel or the History Channel, and they talked about the special training of these pilots and, and how eager they were uh, to get after it, to do what they had been trained to do. And, and they took a, a transport ship from California across the Pacific, and all these guys on that, on that ship um, waiting, uh, looking forward to what they were about to engage in. And uh, one man asked, was asked the question, uh, uh, what, what were you experiencing when you were on that ship? And and he said this, he said, we knew our training was the best in the world and we were eager to prove it, okay? And, and that's always struck me as a pastor. Wouldn't it be great if every church would have the goal of giving their church members the opportunity for the best training in the world? Uh, you can't do that without shepherds. Shepherds who exercise authority over the flock. Um, Sometimes it's, it's not always easy for a pastor to be able to see and witness if, if things are going well. You know, sometimes you can't see. You don't know what's going on underneath the service, surface. And uh, that's one of the reasons why most pastors enjoy mowing their own lawn. Uh, because at the end of the day, you can see, yeah, <laughs> I got that done. But the good news for us is, God's not called us to be successful. However, 
he does have this expectation that we prove ourselves faithful. Second half of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, a free church pastor who's, who's still around, I heard him once say, if a pastor can do anything besides shepherd a church, he should probably do it. Because you know when you're called, you're going you're gonna to experience some highs and lows, some exciting times, some difficult times. But if you know this is what God has called you to do, you have that perspective and ability and a desire with the Lord's help to be able to persevere. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And then next in verse 2, not for shameful gain. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Um, this past week, I read a story. Uh, we're going to put a picture up on the board of a pastor in Michigan who convinced his church to buy him a new parsonage in Florida. This is his parsonage. $8.3 million. Uh, they bought it from one of the co-owners of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This modest home has 10 bedrooms, 10 full bathrooms, three half bathrooms, 14 fireplaces, and uh, a bunch of other extravagant features. And when I read that story, I, I, I thought, it does not sound like, like this pastor understood Peter's admonition, and neither did his church. Mm, that's a little bit over the top. A anybody disagree? <laughs> it's been said there are two kind of leaders, those who love power, and those who love people, right? Two kind of leaders in the world. People who love power and those who love people. And as a church, you should be grateful for the men the Lord has gifted and called to serve this congregation as pastors and as, as elders. Praise the Lord for faithful shepherds who exercise godly oversight. You know, I'll admit, I have a hard time. Look over here, i got four clocks to choose from. I either have a lot of time left or not much at all. <laughs> oh. Third part of Peter's instruction. He tells his readers that those who serve as elders are to serve as examples. That's verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. I'm going to have you hold your spot here in 1 Peter and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Pastor Jeremy's brother-in-law, Paul, uh, mentioned this passage and spoke on it just a little bit during the Sunday school hour. Have you ever heard the saying, your actions speak so loudly I can't hear a word you're saying? Mm. That's certainly true for those entrusted with leadership in the church. And, and I don't know if, if every elder likes it or not, but for good or bad, the elders in the church set the spiritual temperature for their church. And here in 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul lists the qualifications for those who would serve as elders. And by the way, in the New Testament, the words 
elder, overseer, pastors are often used interchangeably. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So church, having heard that, do you agree with that list? Okay, a lot of you do. (laughs) You should, right? Because this is the word of God, and praise the Lord, these are the standards, the qualifications, the expectations of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. Interesting, if if you counted them out, you'd come up with, probably about 15 qualifications in this list. And only one of the 15 is a skill, and that's able to teach. The other 14, well, the other 14 are all related to a pastor's personal life, a pastor's public life, and a pastor's family life. In other words, his example, his example. Now, God's not looking for perfection. Praise the Lord, right? (laughs) But God sees, and he doesn't just see the outward appearance. He looks at your heart. He looks at all of our heart. And and he sees the trajectory of our life, what direction that we're going. That's true for every one of us. And he desires that every one of us be growing in our love for Jesus, our likeness to him, and our loyalty to his word. To the mission he's given to us. Now I want uh, all you men here this morning to hear this. Though these requirements in 1 Timothy are specifically written for elders. It's your pastor's desire that every man in this congregation aspire to live like this. And if you're married or hope to be, your wife or your future wife will be blessed. And this church and your employer, and your community, and for your children. You know, a few minutes ago I said uh, elders set the spiritual temperature in the church. You could say the same thing for dads. Dad does the same thing for his family. So again, I'm going to ask all of you dads this morning a question. And the question is this. uh, Just thinking about you right now. If each of your children, your sons and your daughters, had the same passion for Jesus as you do, would that be a good thing for the church? Would would you know the future generation looks great at Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church?
And if you're not happy with your answer, if, if you realize you've had it in, in cruise control or perhaps you've just started coasting or even become complacent and you don't like that answer, if your kids would turn out exactly like you, what should you do about it? What should you do? It was a simple little word, repent. If you don't like where you're going, and if you know it's not, you're not going the way that God wants you to go, turn around, right? Turn around and get going the right way, right away. Praise God for godly fathers. Praise God for godly mothers. One other practical reason for every man in the church to be growing in, in godly character is, is because if and when persecution comes to the church, to this church, as it is throughout the world, you're going to need a deeper bench. You're going to need more men who are willing to stand in the gap when the need arises. But listen, we, we do it not because someone's forcing us, compelling us, twisting our arm, guilting us. We do it because we love the Lord, and we do it because we know he alone is worth it. Amen? Okay, fact number four, and don't worry, it's not as long as the first one. <laughs> Faithful shepherds should live and serve with great expectancy. That's fact number four. A faithful shepherd should live and serve with great expectancy. Uh, years ago, there was a, a business consultant who recommended to begin with the end in mind. He said, whatever it is you're seeking to accomplish, start there and work backwards. Figure out what do you need to do between where you're at right now and that goal in order to see it happen. And I think Peter is kind of saying the same thing at the end of this passage. When when the leaders in the church live this way and serve this way, he's saying they can look forward to a great reward. That's, that's verse number four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You will. You know, unlike that, that pastor whose church bought him that $8 million mansion, most pastors are not going to grow wealthy as a result of their ministry and have no desire to get rich. But, let's face it, the Bible has a great promise here. And that is the retirement plan for a faithful shepherd literally is out of this world. Church, are, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are, are you looking forward to that day? So three, three or four of you are. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. If you're ready for that day, these next verses are for your application. I'm going to finish reading verses 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.